Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome to the golden age of the silver screen, where each episode we review a film from the 1930s or 40s. I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. And for today's exciting episode, we are reviewing 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Because they like to meet the universal horrors. Monsters. Postcode. Uh, This one is directed by Charles Barton. And stars, oddly, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Go figure. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. joins them, and Bella Lugosi and Glenn Strange, which obviously is not odd because they are Universal's monster whores. Uh, Jane Randolph and who's the, the other lady whose name I'm blanking out on? I don't know. <laughs> uh, hell. Well, there's another lady in this one that I'm blanking out on, and she's lovely. And a special voiceover by Vincent Price. Oddly enough, when Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man, it is no longer Vincent Price, but that's for another podcast. And I've got a quick 30-second summary here because I don't want to spoil this one for you all. Chick Young and Wilbur Gray are baggage clerks whose world is turned upside down when they receive the remains of Dracula and Frankenstein, which are bound for the House of Horrors Museum. Somehow, these dead people escape, and complete chaos ensues. Patrick, did you think it was chaotic? Uh, No. Okay, well, it was supposed to be. Uh, Chick and Wilbur find themselves mixed up in an evil plot to switch Wilbur's brain with Frankenstein's. However, a man named Larry Talbot, who turns into the Wolfman when the moon is full... And guess what? The moon is full for this film. He arrives to help the fellas. Will he do it before it's too late? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Patrick, did you do numbers by chance? I forgot to ask if... Uh... I, I did. You don't need to ask me. I know my job. Oh, okay. Well, after 10 years and 800 films, I'm glad one of us does. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein was released on June 15th, 1948, because nothing says scary movie like the summertime. Uh, same month, it was released the same month as Romance on the High Seas with Doris Day, uh, same year as The Pirate, Anna Karina, State of the Union, Fort Apache, Mr. Blanding's, Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House, and The Naked City. Made on a budget of $800,000, it grossed just uh, over four point, just shy of $4.8 million at the box office. It's actually been placed into the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress in 2001. Uh, it was not, it's been placed on American Film Institute's 2000s, 2000 list for 100 Years, 100 Laughs. It was number 56 on that list of films. And Reader's Digest selected the film as one of the 100 funniest movies of all time in September 2007. It has uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 
critics and 85% audience. And that is the numbers on Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And you mentioned the the budget, but wasn't this like the the lowest or the second lowest universal budget that year, but it made them like the second most money? I know that this uh, Abbott and Costello were on a downhill slide coming into this film. And this was Universal's last ditch effort to kind of milk as much money as they could out of the two kind of uh, moneymakers or past moneymakers for them, the monsters and Abbott and Costello. And they, they didn't put a lot of money into it. I mean, probably more than they do for other films, but what they wouldn't have done previously, they, uh, they did on a pretty cheap for this, but then it revitalized Abbott and Costello's careers. And they had, uh, they got a few more years out of universal where they started making films like, you know, meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde meet the, the invisible man. Um, so they, they came back around and did a few more films and, and were, were some of the highest grossing actors in Hollywood for a few more years after this. Yeah, I think they uh, they were overexposed at this time, and so they definitely were on the downward spiral. And also, you know, people like Martin and Lewis were starting to were you know up and coming comedy teams that were starting to to gain popularity as well. But uh, were you are you a fan of this style of comedy? Uh, did, are you a fan of uh, Lou uh, Abbott and Costello? I don't really know your opinion on them. I love Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello are, are, I mean, it's a comedy duo that I grew up watching a tremendous, uh, oh, oh, I watched it a lot when I was a kid and I, you know, I, re, I have very fond memories, a lot of nostalgia towards, towards these films. Now, that being said, this is not one that I saw a lot. And even though this is one of the more popular ones and, you know, one of the films in the you know top 100 funniest movies of all time by AFI and Reader's Digest and the National Film Registry, I, I saw a lot of the other Abbott and Costello films. And I really, really like many of those because I think they're witty. I, I really like their shtick. And, and I don't mean just them in general. I mean, literally their shtick, what they used to do on vaudeville, uh, you know, them doing dialogue, them being witty and being clever with words, which you see earlier in their careers. But by this point, they're doing slapstick. And I don't necessarily always like the slapstick as aspect of it. I don't think it plays as well. Yeah, when I think of uh, Abbott and Costello, I think of them as more verbal comedians. You know, they right. were huge on the radio. And I think when I was a kid, I watched more like the Three Stooges because they were very slapsticky. They were meant for shorts, 10, 20-minute movies. But Abbott and Costello style were always meant for longer, more uh, maybe feature films. This is only what an hour, 10 minutes, hour, 20 minutes. But um, yeah, they were definitely the more, the more witty of the the group more so even than uh, Laurel and Hardy uh, who are out of the three I just mentioned were my least favorite, but even in this one, there were flashes of that wit uh, that, you know, you could, you could watch this a couple of times and maybe not catch a joke and then get it this time. So when they were on in this film, I think that, you know, it was classic Abbott and Costello. But when they start getting too slapstick, I, I started thinking uh, Curly Howard or Shemp <laughs> as opposed to uh, Lou Costello. Yeah, I mean, for Golden Age, we've reviewed at least two other films of theirs, you know, and um, 
Buck Privates and One Night in the Tropics. And they have sequences where you're seeing them do their shtick. And I think those sequences are brilliant and they're great. But those Abbott and Costello are very much supporting actors in their own film. They're not driving the main storyline. Now, in this one, they are. And I agree with you. They have flashes of it, but they don't have a pure five-minute sequence of them doing some sort of act. By this point in time, I think they've already used most of their material from their vaudeville days. And they're relying, I think, probably heavily on a lot of writers writing something for them. And it's not as clever. They rely on a lot on the physical comedy. And I don't think it just plays as well for it. Uh, and in this one, they have to carry the film. I mean, they they absolutely are the the lead characters in the film, even though there's some other aspects, you know, with the, the monsters and Larry Talbot and oh, the the old guy who was looking for the bodies who had the body shipped in the first place. Uh, you know, they 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 are the the focus point for the audience and not just kind of the comic relief as they were in some of those earlier films. And to add to that, it's all it's a mixture of genres, you know, horror, which was Universal's staple. Uh, as you said, it's uh, that was on the downturn. This was um, this film is the last time you're going to see Universal's classic monsters on the screen until what, two, 2003? Something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it was a mixture of them all. And and so the. I mean, Bella Lugosi is not a comic legend. You know, you're not going to get a lot of humor out of him. He's, he's the villain. He's the, he's the straight guy, but he's not as good of a straight man for these, for Abbott Costello to play off of. So they definitely had to carry a lot of it. No, I mean, they, they're doing the heavy lifting. There's not a lot of comedians surrounding them in this film. And you are certainly not going to get a lot of comedy from Frankenstein, you know, even though he's not being played by one of the main, main actors and the you know the main comic or sorry main monster actors from the past but it you know i i think the crossing over genres i think worked really well i still i mean as much as i'm kind of crapping and shitting all over this this film i still think there's aspects of it it does work i just don't think it's as good as classic uh, abbott and costello from the late 30s early 40s you know it is it it's it, it appears to be very, very, to me, we're just trying to throw two things together and see if that shit sticks. And some of it did stick. I mean, I've laughed out loud a, a number of times in this film. I particularly enjoyed how, uh, how Bud Abbott could not understand why these women were just in love with, with Lou and how Lou was playing it off. Uh, that worked for me. Uh, actually, one of the actors at the end of the film uh not the the owner or the the museum curator but the guy that was with him was that the insurance adjuster or whatever that uh that Jane was working for or Joan was working for uh, anyway sure. when when Frankenstein comes up the two men jump into the water and so the 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 non doctor guy he does this kind of little uh funny little flop into the water almost like almost like a belly flop but you know even that made me laugh out loud so there were hints here and there of just some laugh out loud funny spots but it wasn't consistent and it tended to not be funny when they relied on the the slapstick like we said but you know that's why we watch Abbott and Costello is the verbal wit 
Right. And, and, th- and this is not their best verbal wit. You know, it's not. It's, uh, you know, and, and, and I haven't watched a lot of their films for many, many years. You know, we started kind of towards the beginning of them when we did the first couple, and now we've jumped to 1948. And so there's a lot in there, like Hold That Ghost and Naughty 90s, um, that I really, really liked back in the day. So I'm kind of curious how those are going to hold up when I revisit them again for the first time in possibly 30 years. Yeah, some of them hold up very well, I would say. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I thought Buck Privates uh, held up very, very well. One Night in the Tropics is not a good movie. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but the best parts of it are Abbott and Costello. They're what works in that film. It's the rest of the story that just sucks to all hell. One of the things that I would be critical about is sometimes I think Bud Abbott can be just a little too mean, angry towards Lou, and it doesn't work for me. What did you think of his tone in this one? I mean, it's a familiar tone. I mean, I don't understand why they're friends. I mean, if, if that's in a real world situation, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Lou's constantly taking so much crap from Abbott that it's is why would you take this verbal abuse who and this guy slapping you around all the time and telling you telling you you're an idiot um, that you should be able to attract any kind of woman. And they must have they must have their head examined if they want to be with you. It's like, yeah, I, I want to hang out with that guy all the time. You know, <laughs> it's just it's like, but that also it's a common comedic trope back in even well it's even around even to these days it, it happens but it was very common back then you get you had similar circumstances with laurel and hardy mm-hmm. and obviously it, it exists all over the place in the three stooges yeah it's my call out for both of those groups mark's brothers probably because they're brothers you didn't get that as much um and- yeah but they usually usually when in their films played individual characters coming together. Yeah. You know, so they weren't already together. They're together by the end, but they're not, there's not usually established relationships. Now, someone whose performance I did enjoy a lot, um, was Lon Chaney Jr.'s as Lawrence Talbot. And if you, uh, don't blink, you'll see him, uh, play Frankenstein in the scene where they're trying to switch the brains briefly, briefly. But um, I enjoyed him as the Wolfman, and honestly, uh, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him in this film, as you know, someone for the the two guys to play off a little bit better. Maybe get rid of one of the the ladies. I don't know. I don't know how you would go that route, but I would have liked to have seen him somehow in this film a little more. Yeah, I I didn't think they gave enough advantage, took enough advantage of him playing the Wolfman. I liked him as the the character and ironically right before i watched this i watched uh frankenstein meets the wolfman which i believe was a film that was made just a few years before this Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like a jumping off point for this film i mean it's except for it's supposed to take place obviously many many years later um but it's that that character is still it's like a continuation of that character and and it, it, it to me there's an argument of whether this film is officially part of the monster series or not. And I would say, yeah, it is. Although it's done for comedy is that's a very consistent character that he's playing there. And so is Dracula that you can incorporate that, that this is just a continuing uh, film in the monster film sequence. I would agree with you there as well. Um, You can't have universal's monsters with the basic same actors. I believe that 
Lon Chaney Jr. would play the Frankenstein more often than the other films. Am I incorrect in that? Correct. And um, and so, yes, I would consider this a continuation as well. Ending of the film. I don't want to give it away because some people might not have seen it in the 85 years since it was released. But uh, what did you think of the fire at the ending of the film? The gasoline fire. I laughed um, out loud, but I don't think we were supposed to laugh. Well, I mean, I always thought Frankenstein hated fire. You know, that's or may, may, maybe that's my interpretation of Phil Hartman's version of Frankenstein fire. <laughs> I've never associated it with this film, but that makes sense. And, you know, Frankenstein goes charging right into those flames. And I went, eh, okay. I, I thought he always feared fire, but, um, I, I, I thought it was different. It was unique. I actually kind of liked the ending. I, I don't, I didn't see it as funny. Um, I just thought of it as, okay, this is the big dramatic conclusion. And how do you going to stop the, the, the monster? Although I don't know if you necessarily absolutely stop the monster. You know, I think that's still, something to be said or something to be determined. If Maul can be sliced in two and come back, Frankenstein can, it can survive this fire into the water. It's a, it's a short little drop into the moist lake. And, and there, by no means do I think Dracula, or the Wolfman are killed by the end of this. No. Was, was Sandra, <laughs> was she, when she got tossed out that window? She, yeah, she got tossed out that same window. Yeah. And the actress's name is Lenore Aubert. Okay. She was the one that I forgot at the beginning of the film. Very lovely lady. All right. I think uh, we have talked this one out. It's a short film and it's a short review. So when all's said and done on a scale of one to five, do you consider this film a bad one? Or do you give it a high five? You, you know, it, it's not one of the stellar Abbott and Costello films, but it's not bad. I mean, I, I, my, my comedic taste, you know, tilt more towards witty dialogue. I am not a slapstick person. And I, I know that I'm somewhat in the minority when that comes with most people, uh, you know, so this one, I like the fact that they are trying to do something new and different. I like that they are kind of crossing genres and I, and I appreciate the fact that this gave new life to Abbott and Costello's careers for a few more years. Uh, but I also think to a large extent that, that their best years were already behind them. And the witty scenes that I love from Abbott and Costello are not in existence in a lot of these films. There's flashes of it, but not enough for me to make this say, oh, this is the absolute you know, greatest com comedy film of all time. Some people say that. I read those numbers off. I'd give it two and a half stars. I put it kind of right there in the middle. It's... It's got some entertainment value. You know, my kids enjoy watching it because it's silly. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I, it doesn't have what I really, really liked in things like Buck Privates and Naughty 90s. Those, those, those are the films that I think of as the classic uh, Lou, Bud and Lou films. I'll agree with that. You know, this is not their heyday, obviously, and they've made definite better films. But you know what? I'm a sucker for Universal's old school monster uh, characters. So I do enjoy this. If I was, if this was 1948 for me, this would have been a great Saturday matinee film, pay your nickel, go in, see the film. And I think it's much better than some of the films I've seen lately, uh, for modern films. So, 
Uh, I think I like this a little bit better than you. I'm going to give it three stars. And uh, But I do like slapstick more than you do. I really do enjoy watching old school Three Stooges from time to time. And there was moments when these guys were channeling the, the trio, but you know, that's not what Lewin because what that's not what Abin Costello are about at, at their heart. And I think Lou was not even thrilled to make this until they threw money at him and he said, okay. Yeah. So uh, not in their, not their best of films, but for me, it is still an enjoyable watch and it, it's a, it's a film that I would watch again. But let's, let's give credit where credit's due. This is probably one of their most popular ones by far. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, sometimes, you know, when you're, when you have your verbal witty comedy that can go over a lot of younger kids head. And this one has enough slapstick to keep the kids engaged for the full film. And I think there's, while there's not the, your typical fare, there's enough wit to at least have, the parents amused as well with it and this is a film that they show on tv quite a bit actually a lot of these monster abbott and costellos they will show on tv quite a bit so there's an audience for them and i think people still do enjoy them yeah right definitely all right well that's it for our abbott and costello meet frankenstein please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section and for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com Please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHM Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Until next time, when we will review another classic from the 1930s or 40s, I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. Happy Halloween. And that's a spooky wrap. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Hyperfun is brought to you by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the golden age of the silver screen, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.